the, the end of this sermon, he's really beginning to close this out. You know, it's like the it's like the story. Did you ever hear about the story of the little kid that goes with his friend? The one boy's a Baptist. He goes with his friend to the Catholic Church, and this is this is a pre-Vatican II, so everything's in Latin. Did you ever go to a Latin service pre-Vatican II? And you're going what? Anyway, so he watches this little Baptist boy's watching. They're getting up and they're sitting down and they're priest is saying all these things, you know, abracadabra, hocus pocus, and, and he's going, what's that mean? What's that mean? You know, and the little Catholic boy would tell him, you know, and so the next week they go to the Baptist church, and the and when the pastor gets up to preach after they've had the offering and song service and prayers and everything, the pastor takes his watch off and lays it down on the pulpit, and, and the little Catholic boy says, what's that mean? He says, Nothing. So when Jesus begins to close his sermon, he's still got a ways to go, but he begins to challenge us with the reality that as a D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, this is kind of a paraphrase I put from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones in this, in this paragraph. It's kind of a paraphrase of what he says, but Jesus begins to bring home the reality that he doesn't want just the, the sermon to be praised. He intends for it to be practiced. He intends for what he's saying to us to be practiced, to be taken into our lives. And again, he's only speaking to the people that he's identified through the Beatitudes. Blessed are people who have come to the end of themselves and hunger and thirst for something more and have become peacemakers. And they become persecuted for it because they're behaving so differently in the world that the world really hates them. Because their life is exposing the deeds of darkness to the light of the glory of God. And the kingdom of God's just to come in. It's invaded the earth. And the earth is contrary to that. And God comes to his own. And his own don't want him. And everybody's his own. There's not anybody. I, uh, two churches, the last two churches I served, I got some people had some money uh, to buy these signs. And I put them outside of town and, and, and a couple of directions. And I just paraphrased Psalm 24 on there. And I said, say in this case, Follette belongs to Jesus and all the people in it. Because the Bible says the earth is the Lord's, the fullness of it, and all the people who dwell in it. Everybody belongs to God. But when God comes to people, they don't want him. And sometimes we don't even want him, do we? He comes because he, his kingdom invades a different area, a different level of our life, and, and we have to change, say, the way we handle our finances. Oh, man. You know, we have to change the way we're relating to a particular situation or person, and the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit brings the truth of the kingdom and says, this is the way that we do it here, son, daughter. We go, man. So if we don't have the Spirit of God to respond to that invitation, it's really difficult. So I, got some, I was going to read this, but I'm not going to read it, but I'll tell you about it. Jesus begins to talk about the reality that there are two lineages in the world. There's the saints and the ain'ts. There's the believers and non-believers. It's not Jews and Gentiles and, and Baptists. You know, it's two groups of people. It's people that respond to God in faith and people that refuse to respond. That's only two kinds of folks there are in the world. Starts with Cain and Abel. You know, works its way down through Isaac and Ishmael. Goes to Jacob and Esau. Goes to David and Saul. But there's always only two kinds of people. There's not, a, there's not any other options. We're going to look at that. But Jesus is, is talking to us with an analogy that's the, the, we'll look at it a little more clearly in a minute, but he's, he's bringing this analogy that there's a choice to be made. We're to fork in the road. And there's only this choice or that choice. There's not a third option. You know, it's not like, well, 
I don't really want to go either one of those ways. To not make a decision is to make the decision. Okay? And so Jesus is going to be talking about that. And he uses these, these different uh, analogies, closing out this, this sermon, the rest of this chapter, about how those choices are to be made. And every choice that we make has a consequence. Every choice we make has a consequence. And uh, even the little bitty choices. It's like when you go out to eat. You ever got something that you wish you would have ordered something different? There's a consequence to order something off the menu. There's always a consequence. And uh, there's consequences for the choices we make as believers. And there's consequences for not making the choice for Jesus. Billy Graham's magazine is called Decision. People, there's multitudes in the valley of decision. So he's preaching the gospel that's causing people to decide for Jesus, to decide against Jesus, or not to decide, which is decide against Jesus. There's only these two things. My hearing aid batteries are dying. I'll take them out. I'll leave this one in. So, anyway, the, the verse I've got here, the, the verses that I have that I was going to read to you out of this, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is death. That's pretty succinct, isn't it? Think, a lot of times the things that we think are right don't end in a good result. And if we, and just generally speaking, what man thinks is good is bad. And Jesus comes and breaks into this new kingdom. He said, this is what's good, this is what's true, this is what's right. And so he gives this instruction to those people who have received and have turned toward him. And uh, then he expects that they be, begin to practice those things. So this, this reference I have down here under the paragraph on 1 Peter chapter 4, 16, it says, depends on the version you're using, but it says, if it's with difficulty that the righteous are saved, what will happen to the wicked? Have you ever remember reading that? If it is with difficulty that the righteous are saved, so the righteous are those who what? Who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we get our righteousness. Our righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees comes by faith. It's a, it's a righteousness that the Reformer said is alien. It's the clothing of Jesus that's placed on us simply because we believe. We haven't done anything to merit it. And we can't do anything to pay, pay for it. It's just given to us freely because we believe we receive the gift. We have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're righteous. If it's with difficulty that the righteous are saved. Have you all ever noticed that life is difficult? Especially if you're going to live according to the revelation of the Sermon on the Mount. That's really difficult, isn't it? The things that Jesus is saying, man, those are not easy. Christianity is not easy. You know, faith is not easy. It's not, here, believe on Jesus, you know, and get favor-minded, and everything will smooth out. Well, really? Worked well for Daniel, didn't it? It was really good for David. And Abraham had a slick time, didn't he? And look at Jesus, the epitome of the second Adam, the human race renewed and made new. His life was definitely not a cakewalk. So to believe ushers us into really much more difficulty than we ever imagined because we were oblivious really, before we met Jesus, weren't we? I mean, we were oblivious to what life was about and the reality that, that uh, choices really do have consequences. This is one thing that's hard for, it's hard for everybody, but it's hard for teenagers, because uh, I've talked to youth ministers that are dealing with, you know, teen ministry, and they said the hardest thing is for them to, to get them to realize that their choices have consequences. That's really hard, but it's hard for us too, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think about the stuff I... 
some of the bad choices I made. You know, I, I'm not going to tell you all my story, but I ended up in jail for choices I made before I turned to Jesus. And I, I was oblivious to the, you know, what could happen making this choice and that choice and doing that over a period of time. And then the chickens came home to roost, you know, because every choice we make will bring a consequence. And if it's with difficulty that the righteous are saved, what will become of the wicked? Well, Jesus is going to tell us here in these few verses uh, what's going to become of the wicked. So let's read these few verses. It starts in uh, just two verses, actually. Now, see, last week, Orlando told you I was giving him just one verse, and I got the longer passage. I only get two verses. That's twice, though. Verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So the way of life is what Jesus has been preaching about so far. Don't judge. You know. Ask, seek, and knock. You know, Come to God for your, your needs, whatever they are. Know that He's the resource. And so all of these things He's been teaching about praying for those that despitefully use us, or going the second mile, or giving your cloak to someone that asks, you know, for a little help, or all those things that he speaks of that are really hard that we don't intuitively do. That's not inherent in us to be people-oriented, to be other-oriented. That's not, that's not part. Some people are friendlier. No, that's true. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a people person. I'm a, I'm a hermit the kermit or kermit the hermit type guy. You know, I could just sit in my house and read and go out in the backyard and work on something, you know, and I'd be perfectly happy but God said get out of here you know so God begins to change us but but some people are really people you know Murray you know and Murray's a real people person isn't he but I'm not I'm not that way but we have to we have to reach beyond ourselves and God begins to change all of us into people persons that we begin to see, well, whatever gift I've got, I use it for other people, you know. I employ myself for the sake of other people because Jesus is interested in bringing his kingdom into other people's lives. And so he commissions us to do that. So there's two people, there's two ways, two people, one choice. The options are limited. Uh, Romans 1 through 3, when you read through that, it shows that, that all people are under the gun. Everybody's depraved. You know, the, the Reformers, uh, the Westminster divines, anyway, come up with this idea of, five-point Calvinism, and the first point is T, total depravity, or, you know, just the, the idea that nothing that we do really measures up to what God's want. That's all that means. We can't make the mark. We can't measure up to God what God wants. And so Paul, in writing Romans, just kind of draws us into the courtroom, and this is what he says. He brings up the Jews and the Gentiles before the tribunal of God and says, you're all guilty. There's nobody that seeks God. There's not one righteousness and one, not one. There's nobody that's pursuing God. There's nobody that wants God. It's not inherent in fallen humanity to desire God because God is seen as the judge only. And we don't want somebody to judge us. But that's exactly what God does in the cross. He judges us in Christ Jesus so we don't have to endure that. But there's only this, this one choice. So we, this is where the analogy Jesus uses, uh, you can't say it breaks down, but it's not the complete picture in this, in this story. So everybody comes to this fork in the road, and everybody's coming on the wide road of perdition. Everybody comes to this fork on the wide road of perdition. And then here's this little narrow way that goes off to the side. So when you read Pilgrim's Progress, he, he uses this imagery... You know, the wicked gate that he sees on the hill, you know, he goes up there and, and, uh, 
and his wife and his kids don't want to come along. Her, her, their story is told later, you know, in the second volume of the, the Pilgrim's Progress. But he's trying to get in. He, he sees that the world is under judgment, that this world is under the wrath of God, that its end is destruction. And he, he wants an escape from that. So Christian begins to dream, and he thinks about this. And then he sees this little gate on a hill, you know, and it's very narrow, and he, he gets through that. So the entrance into God's kingdom is extremely narrow. It's exclusive, as a matter of fact. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And the only way that you can get in there is you've got to unload everything. You've got to get rid of You've got to jettison your whole self. You've got to get rid of everything in order to even enter into the kingdom. And so it's a desperate move that we make to come into the, the household of God. And sometimes we realize that only after the fact. Because we look around and say, yeah, I'm, I'm not living the way that I used to. I'm not living the way that the world. I don't have the same mindset as the world. Where'd that come from? Because I entered into the kingdom. So some people kind of grow up into that, you know. Everybody has different experiences because we're unique. And Jesus deals with us uniquely. But my mom grew up and she just grew up knowing Jesus. She doesn't really remember getting converted, you know, or any of that. She did get baptized, but she doesn't really remember getting born again. But she was born again. And she looks back, she sees how different her life is and, and the things that God does in her life and shaping her. But she can't remember that conversion experience. I remember because I was older and because it was a very critical thing that happened in my life. So it doesn't really matter you know, what the event was that got us in there. But at some point, we recognize we've made a choice. We've made a choice, and we're not on this Broadway. We don't think the way the world thinks. Well, we'd like to sometimes, you know. And even when we squeeze through the, the eye of the needle, somehow we manage to bring stuff in. So this is another place where the analogy kind of breaks down. But Jesus is saying that to come into this narrow way, you can only come through me. You can, Mohammed's not going to get you there. Hinduism won't do it. You know, Buddhism was not sufficient. You know, none of these other religions or philosophies of man can get us into the kingdom of God. It's only by being born again. You must be born again, Jesus says. And he says, listen, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And he doesn't just say it once. He reiterates that in a sermon over and over in John chapter 8. He says, if you don't believe in me, you will die in your sins. So you have to come through the narrow way to escape your sins. Kind of scrapes them off in a sense. And Jesus begins to show us just how different we've become. When I first believed on Jesus, within a matter of a, a couple of days, I quit smoking, I quit drinking, I quit desiring drugs. And I didn't make a conscious decision to make that. It was just kind of like a, a bonus gift, you know what I mean? You receive Jesus, I get this bonus. Now everybody has that experience. Some people struggle with issues, but there are other issues I struggle with. I'm extremely cynical naturally, you know. When you look up cynicism in the dictionary, there's my profile. <laughs> That's me. Yeah. So there are issues in my life that, that Jesus still brings home to me that you can't act that way. You can't hold that attitude. That's not my children's attitude. That is not of my kingdom. Remember when you came through the narrow way, you gave that up. But it still tries to resurrect. So there are some things in life that we will have that will cause us to limp so that we can come to Jesus over and over and over and over. Give me this day my daily bread. Give me grace today. Give me mercy today. But there are other things that he just he peels it away. Thank God for that. You know, that's great. And one of these days when we lose this old nature and we enter in finally in the presence of God, there won't be any of that. So it's like the preachers always said, you know, you're saved 
We're saved from the penalty of sin. We're being saved from the power of sin. And we will be saved from the penalty of sin. I mean from the presence of sin. The penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. In heaven there will be no presence of sin. There will be no consciousness totally. Even though now, the writer of Hebrews says we're not supposed to have a consciousness of sin. It still tries to stain us. It still tries to come back to dictate to us. But because of Jesus, nothing can separate us. And we have the power over that. But we have to exercise this power. Jesus says you have to live this sermon. It's not just a beautiful philosophy. It's not just what could be if everybody listened to their better angels. This is a life to be lived. And so he says now, you know, you've come, you've got to enter through this narrow way. So we're, we're struggling. It, it, isn't it interesting you're reading the Hebrews chapter 4? It talks about to make the effort to strive to enter the rest. Have you ever seen that language? To strive to enter the rest that God has provided. Hebrews chapter 4. Doesn't that sound kind of oxymoronic? Strive to enter rest. But we, we, we know what that means, don't we? As Christians, people who are seeking to live in obedience to the Holy Spirit in every aspect of our life, we understand the reality of that. We're striving. Paul says, man, I am pommeling my body. I am walking on this narrow way. I beat my flesh into submission. It will not rule in my life. He's talking about a real struggle against the flesh, the world, and the devil. This is not something where God sits us on a piece of plexiglass and then we sail through life, you know. That's not the experience of Jesus. That's not our experience. We're called to walk through a narrow way, put aside our old nature, and then walk on this really a knife edge. To walk on a knife edge. Aren't you glad that our salvation is not dependent on our balancing of that? Because if it was, we're shot. We're got, we've, we've been God. But Jesus is merciful, and so we come to him over and over and over. When we fail to live up to that standard, but we so desire it. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. If we were totally satisfied, we wouldn't. If we were totally satiated, we wouldn't be hungering and thirsting anymore. We'd say, ah, I've got all the Jesus I want. How many of y'all have all the Jesus you want? Well, nobody. Nobody that's thought about this relationship that we have with God who is infinite. And we are finances. Say, oh, man, I've got all the God I need. What? then we'd have to very seriously question whether or not we've ever met Jesus, wouldn't we? We've not met Jesus if, if we don't hunger and thirst for Jesus. We haven't met Him. But if we do, regardless of how difficult life is sometimes, it's all right. If we suffer with Him, we will be glorified with Him. If we suffer with Him, we will be glorified with Him. How did Jesus suffer? Well, in every way we can imagine, He suffered. So... We have, we have this assurance. So this, all of this is a, is a mystery because we don't choose really until we've been chosen, do we? So in the sermon today, you'll hear this read as the passage. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Paul says, now that you've come to know God, rather to be known by God, God does the choosing but we have this reciprocal choice. As he awakens us, then we choose him. But we didn't choose him to begin with. Nobody would elect God to be the potentate. We'd always elect ourselves, wouldn't we? That would be our default ballot. Okay, I'll be God, thanks. I'll be my own God. Because that's the default position from the garden. 
But now Jesus comes and says, no, that's, that's not the way to life. So he says the broad road, the way that everybody just kind of defaults to, that passively goes along, is, is to destruction. Its end is destruction. So we think about all the, the things that, that people pursue in life, blinded by the God of this world, and it all leads to destruction. Whether it's material wealth or fame or, you know, prowess and sports or Whatever it is, whether it's having a bunch of kids and getting them all launched out, you know, and idol, I, I, you know, being an idolater at the altar of your children and your grandkids, whatever it is that we choose outside of Christ Jesus, the end of that's destruction. So this really is a narrow way. We come in through this narrow way, and we then we find out that this way is hard. It takes me through the valley of the shadow of death. Man, this is rough stuff. This is not a this is not a sprint. It's not an easy game. Yeah. It's not a game at all, but to use the analogy. So the life in the kingdom is narrow. It's hard. First, First Peter really talks about this. He, he spends really the whole letter to me is like his theme is we are aliens and exiles in this age. That's how we live. So you think about Abraham. Never had a place. The only place he, he owned in the promised land was Sarah's gravesite. You know, you think about the Israelites in this picture of going through the wilderness and venturing to the promised land. And even after they got in the promised land, then they had to eradicate the opposition, didn't they? So you read through Joshua and the book of Judges. And when they didn't pursue eradicating the opposition, man, it got them in trouble over and over and over. And Gideon had to come and Deborah had to come and Samson had to come. All these judges had to come and free them because they forgot. They got into the promise. But then they forgot that they had to always be alert, that they were aliens and exiles. Well, that's us. We're aliens and exiles. So you take all the examples around us, and this is always a good one to me. Uh, you remember when, remember when you had three channels of TV, and uh, Leave it to Beaver was on one channel, and I can't remember which was on what. Father Knows Best was turning on the other one, and then Queen for Day was on the third one. I always hated being sick. And staying home from school because you had to watch Queen for a day. Man, that, was, that show stunk it up, you know. But anyway, you had these three channels. And so, uh, you know, the, our whole culture was stained with the ethic, not the reality, but with the ethic of Christianity back in the 50s. At least in the Midwest. I didn't live on the East Coast or the West Coast. But I think even there, there was a tremendous, a tremendous stain left over from the founders of this nation. And so teachers were moral and upright, you know. Even lawyers were upright, you know. Everybody was kind of tuned in. There was cultural, cultural Christianity that kind of put pressure on us to conform to a good standard. Now look, fast forward 60 years. Wow, what has happened to our culture? Or even go back to 2000, fast forward to 2018. Wow, what happened those 18 years? You know, everything got... Just coarse and vulgar and black. And TV is really a kind of a microcosm of that. So here you had, what was, uh, what was Father Knows Best name? Robert Young. Robert Young, is that it? Okay. And then he was Dr. Welby, MD, remember that? Okay, so here he is, and, and he's, he's making good decisions. He's being a good dad, you know. I mean, this is a good family. They're functioning and recording Christian principles, although I don't really remember. They probably went to church even. But I don't remember him talking about Jesus around the dinner table, but, but it was there. That whole culture was there. And now you come and you got, what, I don't watch TV anymore, but, but now you got blood and guts and sex, you know, and it's just, 
You know, in the Bible, it talks about learning righteousness, line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. Wickedness, line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. And our culture's been listened to a different voice, hasn't it? And so now there's getting to be a real divorce between those who have chosen righteousness and those who are choosing wickedness. And the, the, the scary thing is the wicked don't even know they're wicked. They have no concept of what they're thinking is wicked. They don't know that. They don't understand that abortion is terrible. They don't understand that, that lying about you know, their curriculum vitae is, is evil. They don't understand about you know, cheating their neighbor somehow in a deal that that's evil. They, they don't see that. They don't understand that. They've, they've tasted the line upon line, the precept upon precept so long that it says, this is the way life is. And if you won't tolerate me, you're the bad one. And so here we are. Jesus' kingdom has always been the same. It hadn't changed. And every time he calls somebody, he says, come through the narrow way and walk in this hard way. You can't compromise. You've always got to be alert. It's going to be hard. Trust me. If they call me the devil, they'll call you the devil. If they hated me, they'll hate you. This is a hard way. This is not the American way. Because the American way is flexible. The American way is changed. It evolves. The kingdom of God and God's heart does not evolve. He's immutable. His kingdom is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. So we have to be a people that are weaponized. We're ensconced in the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And we live a different way. Because we've been sent out as beatitude lovers. And behaviors of the kingdom of God, to take the salt and the light into the world. We're totally different. And if we're not, something's wrong. You know, something's wrong. If we're not totally different, something's wrong. If the things that the world embraces, we embrace, something's wrong. But if we realize something's wrong, then there's a good chance that we're woken up. What they got a new term? Man, that's the most woke guy I know. I guess that means you're, you're most with it. Is that right, Martin? You're with it, man. We're woke. Jesus woke us. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. He made us alive and he blessed us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, wake up. Smell the coffee. You smell the coffee? We've smelled the coffee of heaven. We understand that this kingdom is broken in and we're different. And it was a narrow way getting in. When I came into the kingdom of heaven... I didn't really make, you know, you don't know exactly what you're doing. I didn't make a lot of decisions. The decisions were kind of made for me because I simply chose towards Jesus. And in that choosing, I lost friends. People I used to smoke dope with. People I'd drink beer with. People I'd carouse with. I, I lost them. I didn't choose to lose them. I just chose Jesus. And all of a sudden, my choices led me in a different direction. You know, it's just a, it's a choice. Making a choice for Jesus means... A lot of choices are kind of made for you. But there doesn't make them any easier sometimes. You go, wow, I need some new friends. I need new friends. So you get the church now. So we have all these things change because we responded. When Jesus chose us, we chose him back. We came through the narrow way. And so we keep choosing him. Choose you this day, you said, whom you will serve. Give me a heart to always choose you. Open my eyes. Give me the strength to stand. Make me a holy man. Help me choose you. So every day we're coming back. God, help me choose you today. Help me choose you today. 
Okay, so we do make one choice. I mean, we make, we make this born-again experience choice for Jesus, but then we're making the same choice toward Him every day. Every day we're making the same choice. Get up, making the same choice to live for Jesus. I think it was a, I was trying to remember what guy I was reading about, CEO of one of the Christian groups I've given to in the past. I can't remember if it was Open Doors or whoever it was. He, he said, every morning I get up and I say, Jesus, I am your bondservant. He says that to remind himself, really. I am a bondservant of Jesus. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, you know, I live for Christ Jesus. And so we're making that choice, and Jesus is telling us that up front. Jesus is not like somebody that writes the contract for your credit card. You know when you get a new credit card? And, and you open it up, and, and, and you take out that piece of paper, and it's in print about that big. And it says, be sure and read all of this. And you go, right. How many of y'all ever, how many of y'all ever read the whole thing? Huh? Yeah. We'll be sorry one of these days, won't we? <laughs> so, but Jesus doesn't, he doesn't deal that way. Everything he says is up front. It's in bold print. And he says it right here. This is a narrow way. This is a hard life. He's saying it right up front, right there when the people came to the altar, sat down on the mountain, and he said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Oh, by the way, if you're poor in spirit, I want you to know, life is going to be narrow. It's going to be hard. It's going to be like building a life in a storm. You've got to build on the right foundation, you know, because the storms are going to come. There are going to be storms. They're going to come. They're going to pound on your house. They're going to pound on your head. They're going to pound against your life. But if you build your life on the truth of who I am and what I've taught you, when the storm's over, you will be erect. But if you don't, you're a fool. It'll destroy you. If you don't build according to what I'm instructing you, your life will be destroyed. And not just temporarily, you will be eternally destroyed. But if you build according to what I'm telling you, even though you suffer much, the glories that you will experience will be so much greater in magnitude that you'll say, what suffering was that? To gain this. And so he's, he's saying we've got we to gotta choose this narrow way. So uh, James says some of the things. James is, James is as pointed as Jesus. and Not as good a teacher, but a good teacher. We're to be doers of the word, not hearers only. If we hear what Jesus said and we don't do it, our profession is false. Now if we attempt to do it, that's good. And if we fail, we can get back up. But if we don't attempt to do it, if we just think, boy, that's beautiful language. That's wonderful stuff. I really like that. And we don't do it, then there's evidence there that, hey, I've got a problem. There's a disconnect between my profession and what I'm possessing because we are possessing this land, you know, as we go. When Israel went into the promised land, they began to possess what God had set aside for them. They didn't just stop and look at, oh, isn't that beautiful? Look at the sunsets here. Isn't this wonderful? Look at the size of that grape, would you? No, they went in, they began to possess it. And that's where the rubber hit the road. That's where they found out that this is a hard thing that we're doing here. And if God wasn't with us, you know, we couldn't do it. But because He is, we can't. So, given this idea that Jesus gives us an upfront warning, this is going to be hard work, why do we do it? What, what gives us the wherewithal to do it? Well, that's my third number here. Do we do it because we accumulate more knowledge? You know, my tendency is... If you know it, you do it. Or you have done it. Let me say that differently. 
to know it's the same as doing it. And that's not true. I like to accumulate knowledge. That's been kind of a habit of mine. I like to accumulate knowledge. But that's not the same as doing it, is it? You know, I have two degrees in forestry. But, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't measured a tree or uh, done any kind of uh, fertility work in a forest for the last 40 years. So I'm not really a forester. And I've forgotten most of what I learned. But I learned a whole bunch, you know. Seven years of college, two degrees in forestry, I learned a bunch. But, but I, I'm not a forester. So it's not by accumulating more knowledge. You keep, keep going to Bible studies. Man, how many Bible studies have we got to go to before we do it? You know, that's kind of happens, doesn't it? Okay. We don't do it by dint of determination. You know, this is not, uh, this is not I will get it done. You know, it's, we're, it's not, we're not Frank Sinatra and we're not Rocky, you know. It's, it's not that. It's not just by... These things are important. We need knowledge. We need to be determined. But that doesn't win the day. What wins the day is, is the reality of walking with God who has given us these great promises. He's gone before us for the joy that was set before Him. So i got a few things here that, that help me. We have hope in our suffering. Even though we suffer and we go through hard times in following Jesus, we have this tremendous hope that we should preach to ourselves really regularly. That even though this body decays, we've got a new life. We've got hope beyond the grave. We've got the resurrection. So we don't have to go to a funeral and say, man, I, this, is, this is so hard. I, I've lost that. It will never be the same. If it's in Christ Jesus, it will be better. It won't be the same. It'll be better. It'll be beyond comparison. So when you read uh, Romans chapter 8, you have this tremendous hope and suffering. And in this hope we were saved. What is that hope? That this body will be redeemed. The hope is not that things are going to get better in this life. Things might get better in this life. They might get worse. They might get better. They might get worse. It's going to be cyclical probably for sure. But ultimately everybody dies, don't they? I don't care how much you believe in healing. Everybody dies. Right? But those who die in Christ Jesus know this body is going to be redeemed. This is going to be an amazing thing. We have this joy for the strength of the journey. We have the joy that's set before us. Because God has chosen this life, this, this life of exile, this life of being an alien. He's chosen this hardness to train us to be ready to share in His holiness. So this is really our pursuit, to share in the holiness of God. Fully, completely, face-to-face with Him, enjoying Him forever. So we have this joy set before us. The same way that Jesus endured the cross. We do it. We have joy set before us. We need, to, we need to speak to ourselves often. Man, I've got a hope. I've got joy set before me. This is going to be wonderful. And even now, you know, we have a taste of the powers of the age to come, time after time. But one of these days, we'll have the full meal. We have this promise of a great and incomparable result. You know, we have these precious promises that God has made. He says, because God has given you these promises and you're partakers of the divine nature, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these things are yours and abound, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus. Now, that's a big course load right there, isn't it? 2 Peter chapter 1. That's a big course load. He says, make every effort, press in to realize all the promises that God has made to you. Don't sit back and say, well, I might go to church twice this Sunday. I mean, twi- twice this month. Twice. Might be a Christian. What do they call him? Murray was telling me that Jerry had become a, cre- a Christian. Yeah. 
Yeah. She goes on Christmas and Easter since she had her surgery. <laughs> anyway, you know, we're not, we're not just going to church. I, mean, I go to church when it's convenient. You know, I read my Bible when, when, this, when it hits me or whatever. Press in, he says. Peter says, realize the promises that God has made. And we have the proper understanding of the fear of the Lord. In the fear of the Lord, we perfect holiness. We perfect holiness. We press in to realize all God is. This is a hungry and thirsty for Jesus, for righteousness. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is a narrow way to enter. And it stays narrow. It stays hard. It's pressured. It's full of tribulation, trial. Count it all joy when you meet various trials. So we understand that joy is not happiness. Because nobody likes it when they drop a hammer on their foot. And they don't like it when they lose their favorite dog or their <coughs> spouse dies or they have a huge financial setback. Nobody says, boy, that's great. Woohoo!" But they count a joy knowing that, hey, this is working together for good. God has called me into this. I can walk in confidence. I will not faint. I will not fail because I wait upon Him. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word, I hope, it all comes back to this, doesn't it? His Word of promise. What He has said, He is with us in this. He won't leave us. He won't forsake us. We have a proper understanding of this. Life is only a journey where we're tested and tried. Many times I grow weary. Many times I have cried. But it's well worth the journey. I will never turn back from that beautiful valley. God's valley of peace. We've got to have a song like that or something, you know. It's kind of like whistling through the graveyard. Both this. Well, we're not just whistling because we don't know what to do. We're whistling because we've got the real tune, huh? We've got the song of Zion. We have the anthem of heaven. We've got the reality now. But it's got to be pursued. It's got to be sought after. We've got to make a choice all the time. And our choices have consequences. And we will be judged according to every choice we've ever made. It will build on the foundation of Jesus. Praise God for His mercy, His grace. And that he has shown us that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And we have chosen back by the grace that's in him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for, for what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. How you've accomplished everything that concerns what you require. That he is our righteousness. He is our wisdom. Our sanctification. He is our redemption. And that redemption that he has wrought is plentiful, God. For, Lord, you will redeem us out of all of our iniquities, not just some of them, not just the ones, God, that sneak up on us, but even the ones that we willfully engender, God. We thank you that he will redeem us out of all of our iniquities as we cry to you, God, as we come to you, as we walk with you. Thank you for the good work you've done in us, God. We look back and, and we must say that even in a hard place, we can declare that the lines have been drawn to us in pleasant places because they're in Christ Jesus. But God, how great is the expectation of our hope. How wonderful, Lord, are the promises you made that are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. So God, give us the determination that comes in the power of your spirit, the joy that's set before us, the hope of our calling and the promise you've given. God, let us see you more clearly. God, we hunger and thirst for more of you. Let us be satiated at the fountain of your salvation. Father, we ask all of this, that you would be glorified and that we would find our full satisfaction in Jesus and in him alone. Amen.
God bless you all. Have a great afternoon.